Welcome to Mary Liar Talks, a podcast that discusses mental health and spiritual well-being. Before we jump in, there may be episodes that are particularly sensitive for some listeners. And if that applies, then I hope you'll be able to join me whenever you feel ready and able. Today's episode is on bereavement, and I'm with guest Barbara Legere. Barbara lost her son, Kevin, to suicide and is author of Kevin's Choice, A Mother's Journey Through Her Son's Mental Illness, Addiction and Suicide. I started off by asking Barbara what Kevin was like. Kevin was, Kevin kind of had two sides to him. He had the happy, loving side, and then he had the side that struggled with depression and anxiety and substance use disorder. But he was the kind of guy that um, he just, everybody liked Kevin. He was very easy to like. He was friendly. He was very generous and loyal to his friends. When he was in high school, he was the guy that all the girls would call and say, I'm stuck on a date or I'm at a party and I don't feel safe. And he would go pick them up. I, I still get stories from his friends. They I love it. They write me and tell me little things that I didn't know before. And that makes my day. But uh, we were very close. We were very, very close. He's my only child. Um, I'm a single parent. So we just had a really strong bond. And uh, we talked about everything. And he was, he was um, a wonderful human being with a broken heart. Um, you mentioned about his struggles with mental health so how and why did he end his life and and how long ago was that um it was august 11th 2020 so it's coming up on three years and kevin started struggling with depression when he was very young around nine years old and i noticed it his teacher noticed it and that's when i started getting him help as far as therapy um medication, etc. Then he seemed to be okay for several years. So we stopped the medication and he went on with life. Um, but in high school, that's when he discovered drugs. And once he started using heroin, he felt like he felt great. It was like made him feel like he didn't have to worry. He wasn't depressed. He had self-confidence. He didn't have a care in the world. That's when you start, but then it turns into the nightmare that, you know, changes your life forever. So at one point, um, he told me several times that he was going to take his own life. He tried to prepare me for years, and it was so difficult um, because I didn't want to believe it, you know. But he did tell me that that's how he was going to end his life. And he didn't mention it for two whole years. So I kind of thought, oh, good, you know, we're safe now. Mm -hmm. Um, But one morning he told me that he couldn't do it anymore. He said, I'll never be able to stop using drugs. I just never will. And he didn't say he was going to end his life. But 15 minutes later, I heard a gunshot and I knew what it meant. I knew that he had done that. That's um, very traumatic in terms of um, how it happened and how you um, how you found out. Um, 
you've you've been through a lot, um, Barbara. So tell us how you how you dealt with his loss initially and how you are still dealing with his loss because that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, no. twenty twenty. That wasn't that long ago. So tell us how the grieving process has okay. been for you. Well, the first year, the first few days you're just it's like you're out of your own body you can't even comprehend what's happened Mm -hmm. and then the months you're just devastated to the point where for me anyhow it was hard to just walk to the mailbox it was hard and go grocery shopping everything I did felt like I was just forcing myself to just do the basics of life Mm -hmm. um that whole first year was extremely difficult. It's just hits you over and over and you realize again and again, what's happened. But during that first year, I felt led to write a book and that started helping me get his story out, which was comforting to me. I felt like it was something he wanted me to do. So I worked on that. And then the second year was difficult in a different way because it had been a whole year since I'd seen him. So the second year was more about missing him and just, you know, he's not here for this, for that. And, um, you know, it doesn't get easier. It just gets to the point where you can handle it a little better, where you can deal with your day to day. You can get through it. The pain never goes away. The heartbreak never goes away, but we do find ways to get by because we don't really have a choice. You know, people tell me all the time, you're so strong, you're so strong. Well, I don't have a choice. I have to Mm -hmm. carry on with life. Um, Mm -hmm. And my inspiration now is just sharing his message with other people, helping them understand addiction and mental health and why people take their lives and how to deal with grief. So by doing that, that's kind of my purpose now. And it's really helped me. Um, you talked about in the first year, your book that you were writing, how that was, uh, you know, a focus point and that how it really helped you. What other forms of support or ways um, to help you with the grieving process? What other ways of support were there for you? Or did you? That's a great to? question. Um, the number one thing for me was finding a support group of parents that had experienced a similar loss. I already belonged to one. So for me, I I didn't have to look for one. I had lost someone who was like a son to me to an overdose five years before Kevin. So I was already attending this meeting for five years. Mm -hmm. And when I lost Kevin, all those people were there for me. They were the ones that understood what I was going through. They were the ones I didn't have to explain anything to because they knew what it felt like. They knew what to say, how to act around me. Um, I just highly, highly recommend anyone that's had a loss to find a group specific to their type of loss so they'll realize they're not they're not alone and there are people that understand. Because unless you've been there, it's one of those things that you can't understand unless you've been through. And hopefully, you know, no one, it's, it's something no one, wants to go through and I hope no one ever does but it happens every day mm, yeah they're very true and, and you've given really good advice there about um, not just a peer support group but a one that is specific to the type of support that 
you know, someone needs. Um, can I ask about, you know, there's a stigma attached to suicide. And can I just get your thoughts in terms of how different that might be, if it, you think it's different to losing someone through other types of circumstances? Yes, it is. It is different. I can see the look in people's faces when they run into me now, not my close Mm -hmm. friends, but other people, acquaintances, and they have this look on their face and it's like, they don't want to mention it. Um, They just, it's like a topic that makes them very uncomfortable. But I think the stigma against it is people think several things. First, they think that it's a cowardly thing to do. Um, then they think that it's a selfish thing to do. And in most cases, that is not why someone leaves. It, it, it is not cowardly. It takes a lot to actually go through with it. My son wrote poems about it um, that I found later. And one of them was called, um, I can't remember what it was called, but it, that's what it was about, how it mm-hmm. takes courage. And mm-hmm. selfish, you know, you could say that, but I don't think that is when someone is in so much pain that they can't handle life to them in that moment, there's no hope left. They're out of hope. And that's why they do it. It's because they're out of hope, not because they're a coward, not because they're selfish. They just feel like they're at the end of the rope. And the majority of people I've talked to say that they, um, their person thinks they were would be better off without you. Like Kevin would say it often, you'd be better off without me, mom. You wouldn't be stressed out about me all the time. So that's another thing in the back of some people's minds when they make that decision. Sure. So I mentioned in the intro how you've written two books and you mentioned one of them and you wrote that um, during the first year after um, Kevin's loss. So tell us about the first book um, called Kevin's Choice. Tell us about that. And I think you've kind of alluded to why you wrote it, but you can tell us more about that as well. It was about three months after I lost him that I started getting this feeling that I needed to write a book and I did not want to write a book, but it was almost like I could not get rid of the feeling. So I sat down and I just decided this book is going to be about helping people understand what it's like for someone who's addicted to drugs, what it's like for someone who has mental illness, what it's like for a parent to spend years, in my case, 13 years, watching their child's life be destroyed by drugs. Um, And then I touch a little bit on grief. I was so new at grief then that I didn't write a lot about it in the first book. But I think I give a good picture of the stigma against it, how difficult it is to get help, at least over here in the U.S., um, in my state, California. So, yeah, that was kind of the main purpose. And I talk a lot about Kevin. Uh, People that have read it said, oh, I feel like I know him now and, you know, his childhood and his issues and all the good things about him, too. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote it as well, just for his memory to stay alive. You know, it sounds like, a, if I can describe it that way, a beautiful way of almost like um, his legacy, you know, um, continuing through those pages and through those words and through those memories and the experiences that you that you have. And then the second book, 
Um, talk to me. I'm grieving. Yeah, what drove you to write that? And tell us more about what what's in those pages. Yeah, that was written because after experiencing being in grief for a couple of years, I realized people don't know what to say to you when you're grieving. Yeah, it makes yeah. everyone uncomfortable. People, we don't talk about death in this society very much. And so mm-hmm. people rely on the cliches that we all have heard over and over. And um, some of those are hurtful. And especially when it comes to suicide, I heard some very hurtful things said to me. So I realized, you know, uh, if people knew what to say and they knew how a grieving person would, is feeling, maybe that would help everyone to handle it differently and to say more supportive comments and do more supportive things. So that's why I wrote that book. Thanks, um, Barbara. So like what you said reminded me actually of um, when I lost my mom um, and how I noticed that people wouldn't you know, they knew um, I was grieving, but they didn't really address it or mention it, or they didn't know how to, and maybe a few did. And there was one time someone did ask me how I was doing, and I just I got really emotional. And um, even though I didn't mind speaking about it, so I really do relate to what you mean about people feel like they're walking on eggshells and they don't know how to approach someone and what to say. So Firstly, given that your book was all about um, Talk to Me, I'm Grieving, what should someone not say to a grieving person? Well, there's a whole bunch of things, but Mm. the number one things that I would never say is any sentence that starts with at least, like at least she was old, or at least Mm. you can get married again, or at least you have other children or at least anything, anything that starts with those two words is dismissing the person's loss. And it just makes the person feel worse. Um, The other thing that people tend to do is to compare your loss to their loss. I have a hundred things people have said to other people in the back of the book, and some of them are outrageous. But um, one thing that people like to, or not like to, but do is they'll say, oh, well, I lost someone too. And they'll go into their story about their loss when your loss is is new. And, you know, they're not even mentioning your son. They're talking about their, their brother, which is another great loss. But if you really want to support someone, you should focus on them in that moment, not share your own story. So those are, those are just a couple of things that I recommend not saying. And another one is, um, instead of saying, let me know if I can help you with anything, Mm -hmm. the person that's grieving in the beginning is so overwhelmed. They're, they're not going to stop and call you more, Mm -hmm. more likely than not. They're not going to feel comfortable doing that. So if you offer something specific and tell the person you're going to do it, like I'm going to bring you a meal tomorrow night and I'll knock on your door. And if you don't feel like answering it, I'll just leave it there. And you can come out and get it when I'm gone. Kind of like DoorDash. But yeah. um, just, you know, little things. Or I, can, you, can I go to the dry cleaners for you? Can I go to the pharmacy for you? Can I do specific, very specific things? Because then that frees the person up to say, yeah, you know, thank you. Do that for me. Sure. But it's so hard to call someone and say, hey, can you go get my 
yeah, my medicine yeah. at pharmacy or whatever. Yeah, no, no, I like that. I mean, I like the fact that your the advice you've given in terms of someone actually being specific and not just offering support or help, but telling the person how they can offer and give that support. It gives the recipient the opportunity to say yes or no, rather than having to think about number one what that person can do to support them yeah. and then secondly no one likes really to ask for help so for person right. to give that um that description of how they can help and give the person the choice to say yes or no that's that's really really practical advice um yeah it's really practical advice Barbara and is is this based on your own experience as well as because I know you do voluntary work around grief yes. and, and people who've been bereaved. And I just, that- another thing I just want to say about this book yeah. is that it's not just about child loss. I have okay. interviewed people and they've shared their stories on losing a spouse, a pet, their health, a job, a sibling, a friend. So I try to cover different kinds of loss because they're all a little different. And sure. especially for siblings, if you if a parent loses a child, mm-hmm. Everyone says to the sibling, how are your parents doing instead of how are you doing? Because they've lost as well. The volunteering you asked about, that has has helped me a lot. And it's it sounds unusual. Like, why would you want to do that? Hmm. But what it is, is um, it's called TIP, Trauma Intervention Program. And when there's a death in the home or a car accident where someone dies or dies in the hospital or any kind of setting where there's a trauma, doesn't necessarily have to be a death. But um, the first responders will call us and we will go out on the scene. They'll send a volunteer and we are there to comfort the person in those first few hours to walk them through the things that they are going to have to do like calling a mortuary or explaining what the coroner is doing there. And, you know, just really be there for them as like their advocate and someone that cares about them Mm. and just doing simple things like handing them fresh tissue and giving them water or whatever. So I find it extremely rewarding because I had someone come to my home when Kevin died and she didn't even have to do a lot. Just her presence and the way she cared that I was going through this, the worst thing that I've ever been through in my life, mm-hmm. it made a difference that day. It really did. So when I was ready, I I became a volunteer. They have extensive training, and it's it's just been life-changing for me. I really enjoy it. That sounds like a really good and really valuable intervention actually like an initiative so um just out of curiosity does the person who's been traumatized do they give permission do they have to give permission from the start for um the volunteer like yourself to come or um the first responder like the police officer that is always there they wait for us to get there and because they're called to scenes where there's a death in the home or an accident in the case of the hospital you're talking with doctors and nurses but they will typically ask um would you like someone to come here and support you and so the person has a chance to say no if they don't, I said yes, not really even knowing what I was saying yes to, because, you know, they just recommended yeah, it. They said, I'd like, yeah, you're not thinking straight. And mm-hmm. I mean, 
no one should have to be alone in that moment. I wasn't alone. My sister was with me, but I've been with people that were completely alone. And like when a child dies and you're completely alone, it's, it's not right. You should have somebody there waiting with you until your family members arrive. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's very rewarding and I like doing it. Lastly, um, what advice would you give to someone who's currently going through um, the situation you were some years ago, in, in particular, someone who's, let's just say their child is struggling with um, substance abuse, and maybe that person's concerned about um, their child expressing suicidal thoughts, you know, what would you, what would you say to them based on what you can share in your, your experience? Sure. I would say be there for your child or whoever it is, your person, be there for them. Let them know that you will be there no matter what happens. You're not going to turn your back on them, that you care about them and that there is hope and offer any kind of support you can give them treatment or therapy or whatever. It may not help, but I think a lot of people, and I know Kevin, even though I was there for him, mm. he he was so angry and upset with himself. But at least I know that I did what I could. And I know people that are, you know, deep into drug use that feel unworthy or uncared for, or if people have turned their backs on them. They really need to know that they are worthy people that are cared about and just know that there's somebody in their corner with them, that they're not alone. Um, that's the only thing I can really recommend is just being there. And then just one more question is about giving some advice to someone who's recently lost, let's just say their child. Um, yeah. What would you say to them based on where you are now and how you're in that position where you're, you know, you're able to do advocacy work and, you know, share your story, your journey. What advice would you give them? I would say have no expectations on yourself during grief. I mean, let yourself feel whatever you're feeling because it's okay. Everybody grieves differently. If you do discover yourself laughing after a few weeks, don't think you shouldn't. Your person yeah. would want you to be laughing. And That's it may take a year for you to be able to go out and have fun again. It may only take six months. It may take six weeks. Whatever is right for you, just do it. Don't listen to anyone else. Try to understand the people that say things that hurt you are well-meaning most likely, but they just don't know any better. Um, seek help you know, find your support group, find other people. There's so much love in the support groups that I've seen, the ones online, the ones I've joined. And there's just a lot of love and support there because when you lose a child, your entire life changes. Um, nothing is ever the same. And it's with you every second of every day. I mean, yes, you learn to smile and laugh and go on, but it's still there. And you're just a different person. So allow that to happen for yourself. And I would say just give yourself grace and do your best to take care of yourself, but don't put expectations on yourself because it's okay. 
to feel what you're feeling. It's the worst thing that can happen. Thank you so much, Barbara. I love every word that you said. Um, it was not just heartfelt, but it, it sounded like really good, practical, um, wise advice. So thanks so much for sharing what is a very personal and sensitive topic. And um, hope it doesn't sound cliche, but yeah, keep on doing the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me on Mary Lyle Talks. Thank you so much, Mary. I appreciate it. Grieving can be a very difficult time for people. Here's a couple of spiritual wellness tips you can meditate on. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 reads, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Thank you for listening. Do follow and join me again next time on Mary Lyre Talks Beyond the Smile.